Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Uh, this week I am recording from a basement. There is a little bit of ambient noise as you can hear. Uh, but don't let this distract you from what is going to be an action-packed episode. We're going to be talking what am I reading, listening to, and watching. And in the watching segment, I'm going to go over four movies I've seen over the last week or so. Um, and I guess I'll have it in the title, so I'll say them now. Those will be, and I'll do them in order of what I saw them. So, Annabelle Creation, Detroit, The Dark Half, and 13 Going on 30. That is an eclectic group of films, no doubt. But that is that. <clears throat> Starting off, though, uh, we'll start with what have I been reading. Um, and it won't be very long, because it's going to be covered in watching too, uh, because I just finished um, *The Dark Half* by Stephen King, and that and that's one of the movies we're going to be talking about. Um, I, I started reading it because I wanted to watch the film, uh, it being a George Romero directed film, and uh, and I like Stephen King; he's my favorite author. I think this *The Dark Half* is a nice, tight uh, thriller. It's not, you know, a Stephen King classic, but it was very good. I think it was, um, it ended up nicely. And I just think, you know, George Stark is one of his, you know, underrated villains. And, and it doesn't, he doesn't stack up to like a, a Pennywise, a, a Randall Flagg, a Annie Wilkes. But I enjoyed the book a lot. Um, and what I'm uh, just, just started, only probably just a chapter in, uh, is The Dead Zone, which I believe was made into a film with Christopher Walken, and a respected director did that, but I can't think of who. Maybe David Cronenberg? But it's like, uh, uh, holy cow, I'm in a dead zone. All right, that's my terrible Christopher Walken. Let's get that out of the way. Um, so I'm going to read that. I'm not in like a huge rush to see the movie, unless the book is amazing, but... Um, it was just the kind of the next one in the chronicle, chronological release of King books that I own that I haven't read yet, if that makes any sense. What I've been listening to, a um, couple albums have been released lately by bands that I sort of like. Not sort of like, I, I like these bands. Um, well, <clears throat> before I get into that, heard a song on, uh, on, a, on a commercial by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts called Love Is All Around, and it's a cover of the old song, you know, from, uh, I want to say Mary, Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, somebody yell at me if I'm wrong. But uh, it was in a commercial, and man, that that is a jammer. Uh, total total uh, rock and roll there, so Joan Jett, Love Is All Around. The one album that came out by a band I like is uh, uh, The Peace and the Panic by Neck Deep. They're a Welsh pop-punk group. Uh, I was looking forward to this for a while. I liked all the singles. Um, I think the singles are the best part of the album. It's not uh, it's not a bad album per se, but it, it's kind of in the same vein of the Arcade Fire album where, you know, I love half the songs and the other half kind of fall into Tolerate or Skippable or what have you. Um, I think that their best album is definitely Life's Not Out to Get You, but... There are some really, really great tracks on this album. Uh, Motion Sickness, Happy Judgment Day, In Bloom. Uh, I like Critical Mistake a lot. 
Um, and where do we go when we go? Most of those are singles. Um, so there's Neck Deep. <clears throat> Still really enjoy the album, but it's not going to be... I can tell you right now, it's not going to be in the running for album of the year. Um, and an album, I think, right now as it stands, that is that is in the running for album of the year, even though I need to go back um, and, and kind of recollect um, what, what are the best albums so far for me um, as of August 2017 of the year. Um, but uh, Brand New, the band Brand New, it, it's not a band I love. I definitely like them, and I uh, like a lot of their stuff. Uh, but I wouldn't say I love this group, but they announced very recently that they were coming out with an album, and it was probably going to be their last, and it was due in October, and then all of a sudden the other day, here it is, it's available. Um, it's called Science Fiction, and what I said on Twitter is that it's sonically fascinating. See, I don't think this album is as catchy as some of their other stuff. Uh, for instance, some of like the guitar licks, like in... Um, I, I couldn't remember the name of the song earlier today. Uh, from from Deja and Tondu, uh, Keep the Blood in Your Head and Your Feet on the Ground. Man, I, I'm really blanking on that song. It's bumming me out. But anyways, there's no licks like on that song, for instance. The Quiet Things That No One Ever Knows. That's what it's called. There's no like instantly recognizable guitar riffs like that on this album. But it sets a mood and a tone that is present and interesting throughout the album. And I think it's very good, and I think I like it better than Arcade Fire's album, and I like it better than Neck Deep's album, and I think maybe part of the reason is I had high expectations for both Arcade Fire and Neck Deep because I have a history with those groups, much more of a history with Arcade Fire. I only really started liking Neck Deep earlier this year. But brand new, I've been on and off with. I, I like their stuff. I, I'm always interested when they put something out. But I'm not... I wouldn't say I'm like a fan fan. I just keep track of them. But this album is, is very, very interesting. And I think so far, I'm liking it the best of this year. If I'm not, think, if I'm not remembering something from earlier on. You know, it, there's almost eight full months uh, of 2017. So I could be missing something. But uh, I think that some um, key tracks from this album are, well, the first three, Lit Me Up, Can't Get It Out, and Waste are all really, really good. Um, same Logic Teeth, 137, No Control is really great. But honestly, the whole album is, is rock solid, and there may be one to one and a half songs close to the end where I'm thinking... This isn't as good as everything else, but it doesn't slam the brakes on the album. So, definite two thumbs up to uh, the album Science Fiction by Brand New. Let's get into what have I been watching. Uh, this might be a, the long. This will definitely be the longest segment because I've got four movies to talk about, and uh, two of those movies will have the trailers uh, to discuss, which I think I think this is a fun segment. But uh, let's start off with Annabelle Creation. Now, I went to the theater that day, or I was planning to go that day, August 14th, to see Detroit. But um, I, you know, the, they attached the four-minute teaser for it 
um, in front of Annabelle Creation, and I said, why don't we just go see that? We'll go see Detroit again, or we'll go see Detroit later in the week. So we we decided to go to Annabelle. Now, I wasn't that excited for it. I did see the first two Conjurings and the first Annabelle. I liked the first two Conjurings. The first Annabelle was kind of a dud, so I wasn't planning on seeing this, but I thought, let's go see it for the the It teaser, and I'll get to talk about this movie. So let's talk about the It teaser for a moment. I've said a lot to people in real life, but I'll just say quickly here that it's definitely raised my hype level, and I think that what we've seen in that teaser shows us that Bill Skarsgård is going to nail the role. I think I think it's going to be a huge shock if he doesn't crush this when we see it in September. So I'm very excited. I'm trying not to think about it too, too much so I don't hype it up too much, which I have a problem with. I've overhyped movies so far this year, like with Baby Driver and It Comes at Night, and I ended up being slightly disappointed at both of those movies, but I still think they're good movies. But uh, yeah, the It teaser is raising that hype level a lot. Other trailers from that, uh, Bad Mom's Christmas. Not much to say there. Not my kind of movie. I don't really like... It, it takes a lot for me to get out and see a comedy these days anyways. Um, Happy Death Day is a, a horror movie that looks kind of funny as well. And it basically you can describe it as Groundhog Day, except she dies and wakes up every day. Um, she's murdered. And, and wakes up every day, and she tries to solve her murder. Could I think this movie could be really good and fun, but it could be a stinker. Who knows? But the, I'll probably see want to see this. Flatliners, I've seen a couple times this trailer. Haven't seen the original. This one, honestly, the premise it sounds kind of interesting, and with a better cast, I would probably want to check it out. But if... Um, Ellen Page is your lead, um, and a bunch of other really kind of no-names other than Diego Luna, who doesn't seem like he has a big role. Probably going to skip that one. Birth of the Dragon is the Bruce Lee um, biopic, I want to say. I could be, I could have his name wrong, and I could feel really bad about that. But I want to say it's Bruce Lee. That trailer looks kind of all over the place. The movie looks all over the place. Um, and I'm not a huge kung fu guy, Um and I'm assuming Bruce Lee did Kung Fu. So probably not going to see that. Friend Request is a horror movie to do with Facebook. Definitely not going to see that. Don't really care. I think the whole idea of social networking being involved in your horror premises is a cool idea for a modern era. But it's done. it's been done before. I don't know if to a better degree because I haven't seen the other like Facebook horror movies, but I won't see this one either. Um, to talk about Annabelle Creation itself, so seeing the trailers, I decided I wasn't going to see it. It looked generic with a lot of jump scares and kind of hokey stuff. Well, the movie is mostly a generic horror movie with a lot of jump scares and a few hokey things. That's not to say I hated it, but I certainly didn't like it. Um... It was getting pretty solid reviews, um, which has kind of piqued my interest. I think it was in the high 70s, maybe, on Rotten Tomatoes, which shouldn't mean that it's like an A or a B-. minus. You know, It means that 70-some percent of people thought it was all right. Um, 
and I, I think I would say it's all right, but it's I don't think it's my kind of horror movie really. I know the Conjuring movies have their jump scares, their fair share, but what it also gives you is a pretty sizable cast of characters that you care for, especially in that first movie, because you've got the Warrens per, played by Wilson and Farmiga that you really like, and then you also have the family that I th I grew to really care for in the in the first Conjuring movie. And to some extent in the second Conjuring movie. So, but I didn't really care too much for the characters in Annabelle creation. And definitely not in Annabelle. I thought they were super wooden and one-dimensional. Here, I mean, I felt bad for the girls um, from the orphanage. But I I barely cared. I think they tried to give the, the two friends some depth. And I think that one scene where they're laughing a and, and remembering things from early, their earlier days was good. But that's like really the only scene you get of friendship and character building. The rest of it is some pretty nice tension building moments that often lead to jump scares. But there are some uses of like sound design and stuff that really were creepy. But then there were some other things that were goofy. Whoops, I just dropped my phone. There was other, some other things that were goofy. The climax was, I think, to be desired, or it left something to be desired, whatever the phrase is. So, um, not a huge fan of Annabelle creation, um, and that is that. Um, uh, the, so, Detroit, the movie I intended to see anyways, we went to see the other day. I, I saw Detroit, uh, Dark Half, and 13 going on 30 all in one day, and well, you know, it was a roller coaster day. Uh, if you've seen any of those three or all three, you'll especially know what a roller coaster that was. Detroit is uh, written by Mark Ball, directed by Catherine Bigelow, who also has done, I think the, the team of them have also done Zero Dark Thirty um, and The Hurt Locker, amongst a few other things. Um, Detroit is, a, is about the Detroit race riots in the late 60s and specifically about an event that took place at the Algiers Motel. Um, it stars, um, well, there's no real star, but the biggest names in the movie are John Boyega, Will Poulter, and John Krasinski, even though he's not in it very much. Um, you know, every once in a while, I want to see a movie historically accurate, well, not, I don't want to say accurate, because I don't know if it's accurate, but of historical significance that kind of reminds me of what has gone on gone on in the past. Last year, I went to see Birth of a Nation about Nat Turner, and everyone knows slavery happened. Everyone knows that racism exists, uh, racial profiling exists, existed and exists, and uh, police brutality existed and exists exists. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. But I think an argument for these movies existing, and I don't think many people are arguing against that, some are, is that some people do need a reminder of that. And, uh, and I think that, just in a general, this movie-going sense, I thought it looked like a good, tense, thrilling movie. And it is. I'm not going to say too much about it, because even though it's a real-life event, not too many people know know that much about this, especially, I think, white people, to be honest. 
um, and I count myself amongst that. I did not know the specifics of this whole um, Algiers Motel incident. But basically, um, the, the, the crux of the movie, the first 20 or so minutes just kind of sets the tone of the vibe of Detroit and the unrest and the rioting and the looting, which led up to this, the main brunt of the movie, which is this one night at this motel. Um, Will Poulter plays a, a, an aggressive cop that I'll say, uh, John Boyega plays a, a security officer that finds himself involved in these events. Um, Algie Smith, Jacob Lattimore are two actors I can remember who were, who, um, their characters were at the motel and involved in this event. Um, and then, um, so this event at the hotel, which is very thrilling, honestly, it's like a horror movie. It's like an intense, like, gritty, almost like guerrilla-style, um, re like, revenge film. Um, it's filmed like that, and, and it, it is gut-wrenching. And it's long. It's long. It's grueling. And then after that, uh, the event, the, the big brunt of the movie is over. There's still about 20 to 30 minutes left in the movie, and, I, and I've heard reviews and, and comments that the movie kind of took a downturn for people there. Um, and it's not, it wasn't as compelling as the, the main act, uh, but I think for me I needed to see all of it unfold, the court case, the aftermath of that. Uh, I, was, I was very moved in, to a lot of emotions um, in that final act and, and throughout the whole movie. Um, so um, I think it's very well made. I think it, it's one of the best movies. It's one of my favorite movies I've seen this year, even though I wouldn't say I enjoyed it. You know, it's like people have said about Dunkirk. You don't really watch it. You endure it. Well, I think the same is true of Detroit. I didn't get to talk about the trailers yet, but I just kind of launched right into Detroit. I'll talk about the trailers afterwards. And I don't have too much more to say about Detroit, but I will say this. You know, I know that every historical movie takes some poetic license, especially a movie like this where the events of the, that incident, n n not everyone knows the exact truth. Like, they, not one person can't give you a blow-by-blow, minute-by-minute account of the events because... Well, some people died. Other people were under duress. They weren't looking at it directly. And other people wouldn't tell you the truth because it would incriminate them. Um, so nobody knows the exact events of what goes on. We only know a, a little bit of a skeleton and, and what witnesses and, and accounts have been given to us. But if it's anything like what we saw, and, and actually I've heard that it might have been a little bit worse uh, it was horrifying. Um, but a very good movie. Just two two more things I want to say about the movie itself, like the movie making. I think going in, I thought John Boyega was going to be the star and he was going to get maybe Oscar attention. He wasn't, his character wasn't as much of a big deal or, or a main character um, for anything like that. But I do think he was great. He's He's British, John Boyega, and he, so he does a lot of American accents for movies and I feel like he was he must have like studied Denzel Washington because if you closed your eyes he sounded like a young Denzel and he had this presence to him that was palpable and I really thought you know if any 
if I could say anything negative about the movie, I could have used a little bit more of his character, but in a historical movie, you kind of just have to go along with whatever. The other person I wanted to highlight was Will Poulter, who so far hasn't really done much serious acting I, that I've seen. You know, I see him in, like, teen movies like We're the Millers and Maze Runner and stuff like that. But he turns in an incredible performance here as the... the what did I call him? The aggressive cop. Um, he's terrifying, but he's also... He's not, like, this larger-than-life superhero villain. He's a human being, and it's it's scary. And he's great. And he's also British, which I didn't know. So he's doing an American accent in a lot of his movies. And he does a good job, because I had no idea he was British. So that's pretty much all my thoughts on Detroit. Um, it's very good. I think if you're on the fence about seeing it, uh, see it. And I do... And, oh, yeah. And I do think... I wouldn't be shocked if Will Poulter got Best Supporting Actor nomination for this. Um, and I do think Detroit, especially since there's 10 movies nominated, Detroit will get nominated for Best Picture because of two things. Well, well three, really. It's a good movie. But two, it's, it's, it's topical. It deals with race, deals with, you know, stuff like that. And it's directed by Catherine Bigelow, who's, you know, his last, her last, um, excuse me, her last two movies, um, have gotten a lot of Oscar attention. So that's Detroit. The 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 trailers we saw. Um, some of them were repeats, but I don't think I've talked about them yet on the pod. American Made is the Tom Cruise crime movie. Um, also has Donald Gleason in it. And you know I'm not a Tom Cruise guy. If you know me at all, you know that I don't like Tom Cruise. I'm gonna see this movie though, because I've said about it that. You need to kind of have a, a douchebag, pardon the expression, to play that character, and, and uh, albeit a charming one. And Tom Cruise is a charming D-bag, through and through. And I think he's going to kill that role, and I think that Donald Gleason looks great. I just think it looks fun. Uh, every once in a while, I need to see a movie where a, a bad guy kind of does fun things and enjoys it and gets away with it for the most part. Now, not 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 completely. I need to see that guy have his comeuppance. And uh, because I, I just thought of a movie like uh, Wolf of Wall Street, which I couldn't enjoy because there wasn't a single likable person in that movie for me. Uh, but this movie, I think, won't be as just absolutely ridiculous as Wolf of Wall Street. And I don't... I'm not here to say that Wolf of Wall Street is a bad film. It's not. It's a, it's a well-made movie. It's just one I can't enjoy at all. Um, the Foreigner, which is a revenge film with Jackie Chan. I I don't need to see this. I, I think Jackie Chan looks like he's literally asleep throughout this whole movie. Um, his daughter gets blown up. He wants some revenge. And he keeps like pressuring Pierce Brosnan to tell him who his daughter's murderers are. And he like says it three times in the span of, like, 15 seconds of this trailer. Like, you know who killed my daughter. Yeah, but I know you killed my daughter. <laughs> I know who you know. Um, the only good thing about that trailer is when, like, some guy's trying to kill him, and he, come, he he's hiding around the corner, Jackie is. Dude comes around the corner and shoots. He's not there. You look up. He's on the ceiling, drops down on the guy, attacks him. Pretty cool moment, but I'm not going to see the movie. No, thank you. 
uh, The Mountain Between Us, which stars uh, Idris Elba and Kate Winslet, it looks like... We looked it up. I saw all of these movies with my mom, and I, we looked it up. And I don't, I don't know if it's based on a true story, this. And if it is, I don't know why it was made. Because it's, it's a, like a survival movie in the snowy mountains. Plane goes down. They got to fight a bear. I don't know. Uh, good, two good actors, you know. But uh, I do not want to see that. Only the Brave, which is the fire jumping movie with Josh Brolin and uh, oh, what's that doofus's name? Miles Teller. I don't like him at all. I don't know if I've even seen him in a movie. I just can't stand his whole tood and his look. Uh, if you if you know me at all and we've talked movies, I've probably brought up my Miles Teller dislike and uh you know it might be good it might be one of those like feeling good about you know patriotism and rah-rah you know fight that fire boys but uh i don't think i'm gonna see that death wish is the remake of the bronson movie which i have not seen and i, I have no interest in it to be honest but this one directed by eli roth the man the myth the legend elijah roth uh i'm being sarcastic uh, although I, I check that, you know, I like Cabin Fever. It's not a, a masterpiece. It's not a masterpiece, but it's a it's a fun, stupid horror movie, right? But I don't need to see most of his other stuff. Like, what he, did he do? The Hostel movies and the, the Green Inferno. Oh, I saw a scene of that once recently, and I was disgusted. You know, I don't even know why I watch horror movies. They're disgusting. They're, it's it's filth. You know, cutting this guy's limbs off. Oh, they scoop his eyeball out. They scoop his eyeball out. Ugh. Anyhow, where am I at? Death Wish. Stars Bruce Willis. His daughter dies, I want to say. He wants revenge. Sound familiar? Hmm. Well, he goes around, puts a hoodie up, starts shooting people nonstop. That sounds like a good idea in 2017. Ugh. I don't know why Pittsburgh Dad is all of a sudden reviewing tra <laughs> trailers, but he is. Oh, you, you seen this new one? They're remaking Death Wish. Death, they're remaking Death Wish. Oh, Deb. I can't believe it. The Charlie Bronson rolling over in his grave. I don't even know if he's dead. Anyways, uh, it looks ridiculous. There are some lines of dialogue in this trailer that are, are so ridiculous. I don't, I've never been a Bruce Willis guy either. But I will say, the one part of the trailer I did like is at the very end when he's at his, like, the therapist and she goes... She's like, hey, you look good, and, you know, you're going out and socializing, and he goes, no, not really. And she's like, well, whatever you're doing, keep it up. And he laughs, and he's like, okay, I will. You know, he's, he's, he's shooting people. He's not going out and socializing. He's shooting people. Isn't that funny? He's kind of funny. Um, I will skip that. American Assassin, based off of a Vince Flynn novel. I shouldn't have to say more, but I will. Uh, because Michael Keaton's in it, and, you know, we're in the middle of the keaton Assance. And, uh, you know, although I haven't seen Birdman yet, I've liked a lot of the, the stuff he's done recently. Um, I have Birdman on Blu-ray just waiting for me. I just haven't popped it in yet. Um, but it's a, it's a, okay, uh, Girlfriend Blown Up by Terrace, got it. That sounds really original. Uh, Dylan O'Brien, who is decent, I guess, in those Maze Runner movies, if I can call him decent. Um... I just can't take him seriously as, like, this, like, badass who wants revenge in his, like, long sleeve sweater and a beard. I don't know, man. Um, 
but it, we saw a red band trailer, so they added like a couple of swears and some serious action there at the end. You know, the action looked all right. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, the action looked all right. But um, I don't know. Yeah, no, you'll have to convince me that that like Keaton is like killing it in this movie for me to even for for me to even consider seeing American Assassin. Final trailer. A lot of trailers for this movie. Oh, Justice League. Nah, I don't know. Nah, jeez. I'm going to see it just to say I did because I want to have an opinion on it. It's like one of those, you know, water cooler movies. You got to see it to have an opinion so you can talk about it. But uh, I don't have high hopes for it. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I'm not even a Marvel fanboy. I watch all the Marvel movies. I like most of them, to be honest. Most of them are like decent to good. There's a couple stinkers. I don't need to see Doctor Strange again. I don't need to see Ant-Man again. But I will see any of the sequels. I'll see any of the sequels that come out of them movies. Because I like to keep up with the MCU, the DCU, EU, whatever you want to call it. I keep up with it. So I'm going to see Justice League. I like I like Ben Affleck. I think Gal Gadot is great in Wonder Woman. Or however, how do I say her name? Gal, yeah, I, I've heard so many different things about how to pronounce that. And I had, I had the right one once. But Wonder Woman was a great movie. I enjoyed the heck out of it, you know? But I'm afraid that either they're going to make her dull again, like they did in Batman vs. Superman, or they're going to overdo it with her. But I don't know. The more the merrier with her, to be honest with you. I I don't have high hopes for Justice League. So, those are the two theatrical releases I saw then. Uh, so I finished The Dark Half, and I wanted to get... The Blu-ray, I think it's a Screen Factory release. So here's how I got my hands on it. And this is a fascinating, <laughs> it's a fascinating story. I go on Walmart's uh, Walmart's app for, for some reason. I start I start searching stuff. And I typed in the dark half because I was looking to get it. Because I was almost finished with the book and I wanted to see the movie. And lo and behold, I can get the Blu-ray site to store, you know, shipped to my local store. Now, there's no shipping cost on that, you understand. Also... They're like, hey, we'll give you a 98-cent discount. Doesn't sound like a lot. The numbers add up, folks. I'm just saying. In life, discounts add up. So anyhow, I ordered it. I said, what the heck? They said it'll be ready tomorrow. I ordered it the 17th, the evening. They said, it'll be ready tomorrow. I said, what? Tomorrow? So anyways, again, I'm, I'm slipping into the Pittsburgh dad. So anyways, I get a text right after we walk out of Detroit. It says, hey, it's Walmart. Your Blu-ray is ready to pick up. I go down and get it. They come out with it. They hand it to me. All I do is type my name into a computer. Understand? Like a little computer screen, touch screen, if you'll follow me here. I type my name in and say, of course it's ready. Less than 30 seconds later, a Walmart associate comes around a corner with my movie in a bag and hands it to me and says, have a good day. Now, I don't know why I'm amazed by that, but I love it. And I'm going to continue to use this site to store thing. I'll tell you that right now. I sound angry about it? I'm not. I'm happy with my purchase. Anyways, I get the thing home, we watch it. Here's the thing about it. It's George Romero movie. It, it's based on a Stephen King book. Home run, right? I'm going to say we leg it out into a double. Um, it's very faithful to the book up until, I think, the final. Like, I would say the climax of the movie. There's a few things that are different. doesn't completely, like, veer away from the events of the book. But um, it's very faithful to, uh, to Stephen King's text to the point where I don't think it feels like a George Romero movie. It doesn't have that George Romero stamp on it, you know? 
I'm glad he made it. I'm glad he worked with King because I, I love their friendship and I love their like team up. Uh, but it's no creep show. You know, creep show's the ultimate Romero King team up, man. It's just yeah, like uh, creep show has such a great feel to it. It's fun. It's creepy. It'll make your skin crawl. But ultimately, there's a joy and a fun to it, and that's why I love creep show. And I think creep show too has the same vibe to an extent. It's not as good, but it's I like it. And we won't talk about Creepshow 3. But anyways, um, <laughs> uh, I've only seen that first segment of Creepshow 3, man, and I can't believe that um, exists. And I know that Tales from the Dark Side is the unofficial third Creepshow. I watched, I think, the first segment of Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, and I'll be honest, I turned it off. Now, I'm going to give it a full shot someday, but it was on Netflix, I want to say, and now it's gone, or something to that effect. So I had my chance and I blew it. Oh, jeez. Anyway, um, I like t uh, Tim Hutton, T-Hut, what up, um, in the lead role. He plays both the writer Thad Beaumont and the evil uh, alter ego, dark half, George Stark. And I think he does it to good effect. Um, Amy Madigan plays his wife. I like her. She's not just like some, you know, damsel in distress wife. You know, she takes charge. She yells at people when they need yelling at. Uh, Michael Rooker plays Alan Pangborn, a young Mike Rooker. Um, I don't think Mike Rooker gave it his all in this, to be honest with you. I was looking forward to him in this role, and he was just okay. Now, uh, Ed Harris, <clears throat> excuse me, Ed Harris has played that self-same character in the adaptation for Needful Things. And I think, obviously, since he's the main character of that, he's given way more to do and a much more rich and deep character. Um, but yeah, Ed Harris, I think, was better as Alan Pangborn. Um, understandably so. I, I'm not saying Michael Rooker was bad, but I don't think he was given as much to do, and I don't think he... I don't know if his heart was into it, to be honest with you. I don't know. Overall, though, a good, faithful adaptation. Only a few doinky things here and there, but ultimately, yeah... Um, didn't feel like a Romero movie, you know, and to, to the point where I'm going to be like, okay, when I have my, you know, place of your own, you got your, you, your Blu-ray shelves all up, and I put in Dark Half in my Stephen King section of my Blu-rays and DVDs, or am I putting in my George Romero? Now, I already know my answer. It's going to go in George Romero, because he, he was the director, um, but, like I I'll say it a third time. It doesn't have that George Romero feel to it. Um, still good. I, I want. I'm glad I own it. Glad I, I I saw it. I'm a completist, you know, with the, with the Romeros. Um, I've yet to get Monkey Shines, but I can get it through this Walmart site, the store thing, which I'm excited about. And um, I have the DVD two pack of There's Always Vanilla and Season of the Witch. But I probably will be buying that. I think it's Arrow putting out the crazies in those two movies in a set. Some, you know, 2K, 4K restorations, what have you. Um, so, so I can see, like, the ultimate versions of those. Because the, the, the DVD, bare bones, there's not even subtitles, I don't think. And it, those movies can be hard to understand. Those really early on Romero movies. So, there you have that. Now, I won't talk too long about 13 going on 30. But we watched it that night. We kind of just wanted to see a fun one. And I know I've seen that movie once before, years and years and years ago. 
but man, this is a charming, a charming rom-com. I, I don't often watch a lot of rom-coms, um, but when they're good, they're good, and uh, I, I'll give them their due. And um, I'm gonna check the pirate score here. It stars Jen Garner. Oh, the Dodgers took the lead. Oh, jeez. Anyhow, um, Jennifer Garner, Mark Ruffalo, Andy Serkis, Judy Greer. Jennifer Garner's a 13-year-old girl who, you know, she doesn't really fit in, and, and but she wants to grow up. She wants to be 30 because, you know, she thinks when you're 30, you got it all figured out. Well, I'm three, three, three years away from being 30. I gotta tell you, I don't have it figured out. I won't even have it figured out when I'm 30, 35. Maybe by the time I'm 40, I'll have my life together. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, she wishes on a couple of fairy dusts. Oh, her best friend is a young Mark Ruffalo named Maddie. He's a goober. But he loves her. You know, he's hopelessly in love with this girl. She doesn't even realize it. She likes these popular dudes. Hot guy called Chris. Then there's these six chicks. They're the popular chicks in the school. And they're rude. They're mean. They don't like people. They use people. You understand? Anyhow, they come to her birthday party. They just want the, the homework she did for, for them. And they bail. They send Maddie into the closet for seven minutes of heaven with her. She pushes him down. Runs away, gets upset, and she wishes on upon a, the wishing dust he gave her. Oh, he built her this beautiful house. You understand, a dollhouse, catered it to her likes and wants and her, you know, her needs in her house. You know, looks like her 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 house, and she and she spat on it basically. Oh, she doesn't appreciate his friendship. No, no, she doesn't. Anyway, she wishes upon his fairy dust. She says, "I want to be flirty and thirty. That's what I want." Well, guess what? She wakes up the next morning, flirty and thirty, and she realizes. As, a, as an adult, I'm not a very good person because I became best friends with Judy Greer and she's a horrible person. But guess what? I'm even worse. I've learned the horrible ways of the sixth chick and now I'm a, a this chick. And it didn't work, but you get my point. She works for a... a, a I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need like a full recap of 13 going on 38, folks. She works at a, 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 a fashion mag with Andy Serkbaugh, understand? They're in, in competition with another magazine. Well, as it turns out, she's been spilling secrets to the, to the rival magazine. That's what she's been doing in, in the years up to 30. She ruins the, the thing. She's trying to be good, but she's realizing, as I grew up, I've made bad decisions. I've been rude to people. I've pushed people away. I haven't spoken to Maddie in years, you understand? He's now Mark Ruffalo. Handsome, charming, if not, you know, not model good looks, but he's Mark Ruffalo. Who wouldn't want to be with Mark Ruffalo? You understand? So she tries to reconnect with him, and he's like, yo, you're this hotshot magazine person now. You're a bad person now. Why do you want to talk to me all of a sudden? Well, she doesn't know she's a bad person. She's hearing about all the horrible things she's done. She's, she's adulterous? She, she sells out secrets from her business to the rival magazine but in her heart she wants to be good she, she doesn't want to be this horrible person so she tries to make things right well it doesn't work the magazine's going under because she's the one who sold him out and she tries to reconnect with Maddie she realizes she loves him he's getting married you know she goes to him on his wedding day and says Maddie I love you I don't think you love that woman I think you settled. And he's like, yeah, you're right, I settled. But this is my life. This is what I chose. She gets shut down. She makes the stereotypical rom-com impassioned speech, you understand. 
shut down. She's upset. She's going to cry. He's off to get married, you understand? She finds that house. It's still in his closet. He took it because she, she wouldn't give it a second glance on her 13th birthday. All right, well, he's still got it in his closet because over the years, he's still harbored that love, but it's gone now. He, he, he's always going to love her. He's always got that in him, but he's moved on. But she finds that dollhouse, you understand? And there's still some wishing dust on it. And she's sitting there on her, their neighbors, right? They were neighbors. She's sitting there on her, on her porch, her, her porch, her parents' porch. And she's thinking, what have I done? But I got to fix this. I got to make it right. I got to go back to when I'm 13. I got to make this right. She goes back in time. She's 13 again. Maddie opens the door. Young, goofy-looking Maddie. She plants one on him. She kisses him. You understand? Next thing you know, they're 30 again. They're getting married. And that, folks, is 13 going on 30. That is the podcast. I can't go out. I got to go out on top with a, with a wonderful, impassioned uh, recollection of 13 going on 30. Hopefully, you'll get a, another podcast out of me in the coming weeks. I know I'll do one for it. I don't know if I'm going to see a movie in between then. Yeah, Logan Lucky. I'll probably do one on Logan Lucky soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Goodbye.